Welcome, everybody, to episode 18 of We Effed Up. I'm Teresa. I'm Cody. And today we are going to tell you once again about someone in history who effed up. Uh, who are we talking about today, Cody? Uh, well, today, you want to travel back to the mysterious time known as the 1970s. Oh, boy. Uh, can we talk a little bit about baseball history today, But which, of course, one of my favorite topics. Uh, but to start off, we're going to talk a little bit about disco. Disco? Disco. And you'll okay. find how the two are related here shortly. Okay. Uh, disco- well, I mean, I know how the 70s and disco are related. Seven, disco and baseball. Oh, okay. All right, well. <laughs> okay, got it. All right. Lead ahead. Uh, disco emerged in the late 1960s uh, with roots in African-American, Latin, and gay cultures. Uh, Did you say and gay cultures? Yes. I think that this episode is going to come out for Pride Month, so... No, well, that was unintentional, so... Well, happy Pride still. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Okay. I, I, look, look, I do not plan that far ahead. <laughs> you mean until two days from now? Yes. When it's Pride Month? Yes. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> Continue. Uh, anyway, it became mainstream in the 1970s. Uh, the popularity of disco culminated with 1977's Saturday Night Fever. Uh, also, consequently, one of the best soundtracks of all time. I mean, the soundtrack's really good, but the movie is not at all what was advertised. The movie's excellent. Okay, well, I, I thought it was going to be a lighthearted disco romp, and it, it it was a disco rape. It was literally a disco rape. It was terrible. Spoiler alert from 1977. Um, anytime I try to do a spoiler alert from even, like, five years ago, you're like, it's been five years! Anyways. That is a horrible impression of me. Uh, no, it's not. Yes, it is. I think our listeners would agree it's not. No, they disagree. Okay. Uh, anyway, culminated with that film as well as its uh, the dominance of the 21st Grammy Awards in February 1979. It just kind of swept a lot of, a lot of the categories. Uh, disco was not popular with everyone. Uh, many rock enthusiasts feared that rock would die out while disco would take over, and many opponents attacked it by emphasizing its origins in gay culture. Mm, yeah, that's always what happens. Yep. Threat uh, to your sexuality means it's bad. Yep gonna have a negative influence on our kids yeah um some struggling radio stations would switch from rock to disco in order to gain listeners switch to what's popular at the time so sure um wdai in chicago did this in december 1978 firing dj steve doll in the process doll's a important character in our story here so i'll give you a little bit little, a little bit of background on him uh he'd been born in november 1954 in pasadena california uh, and he worked at radio stations in Pasadena and Detroit before joining WDAI in Chicago in February 1978. Okay. And he began developing a reputation as a bit of a shock jock. Mm. Uh, kind of like a poor man's Howard Stern. Poor man's Howard Stern. Yeah. I mean, I think shock jocks were a lot more common pre-Howard Stern. I think that's how he got like his notoriety, as he hearkened back to that yeah. golden era of you know, Bob and Tom. Bob and Tom's national, right? I think so. Okay. Well, I, th- I thought Bob and Tom were after Stern. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the timeline of radio history. Sorry, but uh, everybody. But I mean, Howard Stern's the most famous shock jock. So, but um, 
but Dawes obviously not anywhere near that level of mm. notoriety. So okay. Um, after he was fired, Dahl was hired by rock station WLUP in March 1979 and began ramping up his anti-disco rhetoric. <laughs> anti-disco. Yeah. Uh, Dahl and his followers were, quote, dedicated to the eradication of the dreaded musical disease known as disco, end quote. It's funny because, like, now it's like, really? Dis- you guys thought disco was, like, a threat? Yeah. Like an existential threat yeah. to your life? But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rock still exists. Disco... Not, not so much. Yeah, I not mean, so much. I think pop has roots in modern pop has roots in uh, disco. Yeah, now, yeah, but, I, I could, I would definitely agree with that. But I don't think disco, in and of itself, is super popular anymore. No, I mean nowhere near what it was. Yeah, Doll and his followers they performed several PR stunts, such as forcibly occupying a disco club, uh, throwing marshmallows at a WDAI van. Remember, that's a station that switched to disco and fired Doll. Uh, throwing was, marshmallows at the van? Yeah. Ooh, high stakes. Yeah, and destroying disco records on air. Oh. So it's never really clear if Dahl, like, does all this, like, out of a genuine dislike for disco, or if it's just because he got fired, and he's bitter. <laughs> nice. Like, uh, I'm assuming the latter, because, yeah. Um, well, he might have, di- I mean, because why would he be so reticent to switch over to disco unless he really didn't like it? Possibly. I mean, I didn't really read too much into his firing. Um mm. Okay. I don't know. But, uh, in July 1979, a riot nearly broke out when Dahl's followers called Cohos uh, could not storm a disco event. Like, the police stopped them. <laughs> so, the, a riot almost broke out because they couldn't do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so. this seems like his followers were kind of mean-spirited. Yeah, and they're probably also just kind of looking for an excuse. Because, like, yeah. like I said, a lot of people were, like, against disco because of it did not originate with white people, mm. which... Or, you know, straight people. Or white, yeah, white straight people, so... Um, so that's a little bit about... A little bit of, you know, where the music scene is at around this time. So gotcha. I'm going to rewind a little bit and get into the baseball side of this. And one of my... One of my favorite people in the history of baseball, one of the most colorful people in baseball history, um, Bill Veck. Uh, if you look him up, it's spelled V-E-E-C-K, so you think it's Veek, it's Vec, and you know that because he wrote an autobiography called Vec, as in Wreck. Oh. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he'd been born in February 1914 in Chicago. Uh, he was the Chicago Cubs, or the son of Chicago Cubs executive Bill Vec Sr. Uh, Sr. was the man who suggested covering Wrigley Field's outfield walls in Ivy. Uh, he's got a... It's kind of famous for that. Hmm. Um, the players hate it because it's like there's just a brick wall underneath this ivy. So if they run into the wall, they're you more likely get hurt, wrecked. Yeah, because yeah, Major League Baseball. There's a rule in Major League Baseball where you have to have the outfield wall padded for that instance. Uh, but of course, the Cubs were their you know precious ivy walls were grandfathered in. So nice. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Vec, uh, he purchased the minor league Milwaukee Brewers in 1940. This is not the same team as the modern day major league, uh, Milwaukee Brewers. This is a completely different team. Why are they still using the same name then? Uh, well, the minor league team, they, like, they got moved around after Vec owned them, um, and changed their name. Um, and when a major league team came to Milwaukee in 1970, they were just paying homage to this 
minor league team that had been there for several years beforehand. So, okay. So I hate that because it's like, <laughs> I mean, they did that in NFL all the time, like change the name and change the city, but it's like, but technically it's not the same team. So we can't claim these wins or whatever. It's just confusing for somebody who is not a huge fan of organized sports in general. Uh, it's hard for me to be like, there is sense in this. There's no sense. Everybody makes up their own rules. Yeah, we did. You and I have had several conversations on these uh, sorts of topics. But yes. Anyway, uh, Vec uh, served in, during World War II in an artillery unit, but his right leg was crushed in an accident. Oh. Uh, and he had to wear, wear a wooden leg for the rest of his life. Oh, jeez. Uh, but he was an inveterate smoker, so he would carve little divots in like his wooden legs that he wore over the years to use his ashtrays. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's a character. Well, I mean, I guess there are very few benefits to having a wooden leg in general. Yeah. If one of them is that you can use it as an ashtray, why not? Yeah. Uh, he attempted to buy the Philadelphia Phillies in 1942. The same Phillies that exist now? Yes. Wow. That's a shocker. <laughs> but he was rejected when uh, uh, Major League Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis learned of his plans to hire black players. His name was Kennesaw Mountain Landis. He was named after the Battle of Kennesaw Mountain during the Civil War. He was from Kentucky. Um, I have I have a, a great uncle whose first name is General, so I guess I can't can't say anything. Yeah. Um, but that's another one of those made up names. Cody made up the name. No, I didn't. Kennesaw not. Mountain. No. This is a, a, another person in the long lineage of episodes that we've done where Cody has 100% definitely made up the name. When have I ever. When have you ever known me to have any degree of creativity? Maybe you can with names. No. I have zero creativity. Kennesaw Mountain. He was the first commissioner of Major League Baseball, um, and he was. For, for decades, it's kind of seen as like an obstacle to integration in Major League Baseball. Mm. He'd served from like 1920 till he died in 1944. So he was like a he was like a the older generation. Yeah, he was bringing in like old generation stuff. Yeah, like he like well, he was a racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to, to get straight to the heart of it. But yeah, yeah, integration happened after he died. It was no mm. longer commissioner. So. Was it, like, pretty soon after? A few years. Okay. He died in 1944, and Jackie Robinson's first game was in April 1947, so. Wow. Uh, Vec, he bought the currently uh, named Cleveland Guardians in 1946, the team formerly known as the Cleveland Indians. Mm-hmm. Uh, he signed Larry Doby in July 1947, the second black player in Major League Baseball. Hmm. So, um... And Doby related a story about when he was introduced to other players by his manager. Uh, his manager was named Lou Boudreaux. Mm-hmm. Uh, quote, one by one, Lou introduced me to each player. This is Joe Gordon, and Gordon put out his hand. This is Bob Lemon, and Lemon put his hand out. This is Jim Hegan, and Hegan put his hand out. All the guys put their hand out, all but three. As soon as he, as soon as he could, Bill Veck got rid of those three. End quote. Wow. Yeah. Just because they didn't shake his hand? Yeah. Well. Because he was like, hey, there's no reason for you not to do that. Um, weird. There, there, there's, there's no there's no room for racism on my team. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, they wouldn't shake Larry Doby's hand because he was black. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was just thinking that I was like, 
Just because I didn't want to shake hands. No. Or maybe there was bad blood otherwise. But now I see. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So it gives you a pattern like the racist commissioner rejected his plan to buy a team because he was going to hire black players. Okay. So it kind of gives you a sense of like where he stands on that issue. Yeah. Um, but really his mark uh, was in unusual promotions. Like okay. he's a guy all about promotions. You mean like bobbleheads at the games? A bit more better than that. Really? Yeah. Bobble, getting a bobblehead at a baseball game is like pretty much the best part of the baseball game. Uh, well, we can disagree about that, but anyway. Um, nachos? So, can we agree about nachos being the best part of a baseball game? No, because I usually don't eat nachos when I, go to, when I go to a ball game. What about hot dogs? I can get hot dogs anywhere for half the price. The best part of a baseball game is watching the baseball game. Incorrect. <laughs> Incorrect. Uh, eating all of the food at a baseball game and Cracker Jacks. Listen, this is going to be our last episode. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm not saying the baseball games aren't fun. I'm just saying the best part is the food. No. Um, <laughs> anyway, he began making his mark with these promotions. Uh, there, there's such a thing called a, it's not really a thing anymore, but the back in the day there was a thing called a baseball clown. Um, okay. basically it was just, uh, think like a mascot. Yeah. Like they do goofy things, um, or try to hype up the crowd, like that kind of thing. Like Mr. Redlegs. Yes. Okay. Except just not creepy looking. Um. Okay, so you think Mr. Redlegs is creepy looking? Yes. Or the baseball clowns were creepy looking? Mr. Redlegs. Okay, so what did the baseball clowns look like? They did, well, they didn't often, like, they're just called a clown, but they didn't wear makeup. Did they wear, like, a costume at all? Um, it might be, like, something wacky, but, but, but baseball-related, but we're, we're getting off topic here. Um, I'm just trying to get a clear picture of what a baseball clown looks like. Just, like, just think a mascot, like, just, but, like, not, like, a creature type of thing. Okay. Just a dude trying to hype up the crowd. Okay. Um, he hired one as a coach to actually make coaching decisions during a game. Okay. Um, so he would just make all these ridiculous moves. But that was like kind of a start of that. Um, the Indians won the World Series in 1948. Uh, but Vec was forced to sell the team in 1949 to fund his divorce settlement. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, but he was back. He bought the St. Louis Browns in 1951. Okay. Uh, his most infamous promotion was hiring uh, a man by the name of Eddie Gadel for a game. Uh, Gadel was the shortest person to ever appear in a major league game at three foot seven. Oh wow. Okay. He wore the number one eighth. Oh boy. Uh, but he he uh, uh like he like he he recorded in a bat and it was walked. So he has official major league statistics. He appeared in a game, has an at bat, and has a walk. And therefore one total base. Wow. So Okay. Actually I don't know if total bases walks counts total base. That's a, that's another thing. Um so, yeah, um, another promotion was having the fans make play calls during a game. Oh, boy. So, like, they would, like, hold up, like, hey, put in this guy. Hey, wa intentionally walk this guy. Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, it's unique things like that. Yeah. Um, he sold the team in 1953 after Anheuser-Busch bought the Crosstown St. Uh, Louis Cardinals. And Vec realized he would not be able to compete with the money that the beer company had. <laughs> So, yeah, I know. So he's just like, I am not dealing with that. Um, and the Browns would be bought and moved to Baltimore to become the modern-day Baltimore Orioles. Oh, okay. So, 
So but they don't get to take credit for the Browns wins. They do. Oh, what the hell? It's so it's so backwards, you guys. <laughs> it's esoteric. Sports are esoteric mm. for people like me who are just like I want logic in this, and it's like that you can't have logic. Never there said, is no logic. I, I don't know whoever told you sports was logical. Well, for somebody who's logically minded, it breaks my brain. Mm-hmm. It's upsetting. Anyway, um, Vec. But he, he was not done with baseball. He bought the Chicago White Sox in 1959. So if you're keeping track, that's the third different major league team he's bought. Wow. At various points. The White Sox, known as Chicago's other team, besides the Cubs. Um, <laughs> I forgot that they have two teams. Uh, yeah. Do they play in Wrigley Field? No. They they play in a different uh, stadium. Oh. We uh, didn't see that stadium when we were in Chicago. Uh, we didn't. We weren't near it. Oh. I've been there, though. I've seen a game there when I was 12. Mm. He installed a, quote, exploding scoreboard at Comiskey <laughs> Park, which is their park at the time. Uh, just a scoreboard that, like, would shoot fireworks, have all sorts of electronics and lights come up when they, or they'd score a run, which is kind of standard for scoreboards nowadays. Yeah, it's pretty exciting when you get a home run and the scoreboard shoots off fireworks. Yeah. Um, but he was the first one to do it. Uh, he sold the team in 1961 due to ill health. But repurchased the team in 1975. So he was in poor health, and so he sold the team. And then 14 years later, he was like, you know what? I, it's fine. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow. Um, he alienated other team owners in the interim due to exposing uh, behind-the-scenes processes and politics. Oh. Yeah. Um, his purchase was approved by only one vote. Because when, when anyone... Uh, I think the bylaws are different for each league, but... Typically in like the big leagues, um, like NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, when somebody wants to buy a team, the other owners have to approve that with a vote. Hmm. Uh, whether or not it's half, two-thirds, whatever, it depends on the league, but the other owners have to approve it. Okay. Uh, so that way, like, you know, somebody whose, you know, financial backing is dubious, it's like, uh, maybe we don't want you buying this team just in case you run out of money. Dubious financial backing. Yes. So, like, they can't be mob-funded? Yeah. Oh, bummer. Which, that was a problem with, an, I think, the... I think it was the Islanders in the NHL. I think that happened to them. I know there's a 30 for 30 on it. About um, being owned by the mob? Something like that. Yeah, I remember... I saw it years ago. I don't remember offhand. I'm not a big hockey fan, so I don't really... It would be a really good money-laundering situation. Yeah. It'd be a great way to launder money to have a professional... Sports team yes. and owning the stadium. We're not recommending you do that. Just, just an observation. Just yes. But um, if anybody wants advice or anything, just let us know, and you know, we, we're available for payroll. Sure, I'll yeah, I'll be on somebody's payroll. <laughs> just you know, don't expect me to work. And also free tickets. Yes. So I can give them away because <laughs> I don't watch sports. <laughs> Okay, after he rebought the team, he alienated other team owners in the interim in between when he, you know... Sold did, it off. Yeah. Uh, due to exposing behind-the-scene processes and politics, uh, his purchase was approved by only one vote. Um, owners have to approve the vote in the leagues. Yeah, and you can't expose baseball magic. The baseball wizards will not allow it. No, no. The, in their hidey hole in Cooperstown, deep beneath their surface, where they perform their arcane rituals... Yes. Yes. Sacrifices, uh, 
dark rituals, mm-hmm. um, you know, what have you. But we all know. We all know what happens there. So they don't. Yes. They don't like for their ma- magics to be revealed. No, they're they're chanting of, "Take me out to the ball game as they sacrifice a goat." Oh boy. Yeah. Well, it probably wouldn't be a goat though. What are baseballs made out of? Leather. Mm-hmm. Probably be a cow. Yeah. Um. Maybe little, that, maybe that's why Steinbrenner was the. Wasn't he commissioner for a long time? No, he was owner of the, the owner of the Yankees. But he he was an owner of the Yankees for a really long time, oh, yeah. right? And he was really influential, right? Unfortunately, it's probably because he was a great warlock, and they needed to keep him for his magical powers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Major League Baseball had its way, they probably would have kicked him out. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They needed him for the dark rituals. Yeah. Well. That's how the Yankees just kept winning for so long. Although they didn't really win all that much. Under, well, I guess they did win under him a lot. But anyway, yeah. that, that's... He casts spells against the Mets. That's no. why the Yankees always win. <laughs> and the Mets always lose. That, you're not far off. I know, I, I know. I know the Mets are... Crap. Not... They don't have as much love as the Yankees. No, they are They are the second team in New York. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But okay. Anyway, Yankees cheat. Um, anyway, um... Vec uh, further angered the other owners by immediately conducting player trades in a hotel lobby in full view of the public. Oh, so so player trades also meant to be esoteric, only done oh, yeah. in the presence of other wizards. Yeah, it's it's just meant to be like you know an agreement between two owners. Don't need to get any. You don't need to get the public involved in those discussions. But yeah, like because uh, baseball's like winter meetings usually take place at like a fancy hotel in Florida. So um, why were they salty that other people were able to see it? Because I did. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I mean, so yeah, it's not like anybody was. I mean, they're gonna find out anyway. But yeah, baseball owners not the brightest bulbs in the drawer. <coughs> Bob Castellini. Mm. Oh. Not the brightest bulbs in the drawer for all those of you who keep bulbs in drawers. I do. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I have my spare light bulbs. I have them in my little like utility thing. That bulbs and drawers that's how they get crushed. They're still in the box. There's nothing sitting on them. <sighs> Look, don't tell me how to live my life. You're just supposed to be, say something simple like, not the sharpest tool in the shed. Bulb in the drawer. <laughs> I don't know if that's uh, relatable to many shush, people. Shush. shush. Okay. Anyway, uh, a couple things that uh, Vec would have the White Sox do. Um, just to try it out. Uh, Especially with their uniforms. Uh, one game had them wear plaid pants. I like it. I've worn plaid, some plaid in my life. And this, if I were a baseball player, this is something I would beg for. Especially in 100 degree summer heat. He let them wear shorts. Yeah, but, okay. So I get it. But also, you probably get, like, gr- grass burn and stuff all over your legs. Worth the ventilation. Oh, okay. That's how you get a hornet up there. No. Yeah. Sweat bees. Yeah. We all over you. Uh, anyway, uh, one of his hires in the front office, he hired as promotions director his son and our effer upper for this episode, Mike Vec. Oh, boy. Uh, Mike, he'd been born in March 1951 in Chicago. Uh, and he'd been employed by, in various capacities by his father, but now he's the promotions director of the White Sox. So, and now... We'll get to the actual events of the episode. So, okay. 
A game between the White Sox and the Detroit Tigers was rained out on May 2nd, 1979, and a makeup game would be scheduled as part of a doubleheader on July 12th. For those of you who are completely oblivious to baseball, a doubleheader is when they play two games in one day. Yep. Uh, an existing promotion for the game that day, for the original game that day, was half price tickets for teenagers. Oh, boy. And remember, tickets at this time were cheap, were far cheaper than they are now. But what better way to get a bunch of rambunctious teenagers at a game? Yeah, well, than a lot of times. do half price. I mean, that's why they do promotions, just get people to the game. That's true. Because then they'll buy stuff when they're there. Yeah, and, so. like, if it's anything like the Reds, they're all the time, like, day of selling tickets for, like, $10. Yeah, because the Reds suck. Well, this this particular season they do. The Reds have like one or two good seasons out of every fifteen years, and they have, and it's been probably nine, nine, ten years since their last good team. So they have about five more years of sucking before they actually have a good team again. When does Votto's contract expire? Uh, two years from now, but I think he's also like thirty-eight years old. So. Yeah, they'll so probably be gone by then. I was gonna say once once he's out, yeah. then they'll probably be able hopefully, to afford an actual good team. Hopefully, maybe Bob Castellini will sell the team by then, and he can get his cheap ass out of town. Mm. And the Reds might actually, you know, spend money and do something instead of having a fire sale after every mediocre season. They get rid of all their young talent, and I'm just ranting and raving right now, and I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm just so mad at that. <laughs> anyway, nice. um. Mike Vec, uh, he was also looking to, to do a promotional event with WLUP, the radio station, that Steve Dahl worked for. Okay. And the execs there suggested collaborating with Dahl, who was planning to blow up disco records in a mall parking lot. Oh, my God. And this is where, <laughs> where Vec F's up. Okay. He suggested having the event at Comiskey Park in between games. Oh, so they're so going to blow up this... A bunch of disco records. On the field, yep. With a bunch of teenagers. Yep. Okay. I see where this is going. Oh, it gets better. Okay. As WLUP's radio frequency was 97.9, tickets would be 98 cents for anyone who brought a disco record to destroy. <laughs> oh, so this it's packed. It's absolutely slam-packed. Oh, I'm, I'm okay. getting to that. Uh, the White Sox were not having a good year, and the previous day's game only drew 15,000 out of a possible 45,000. Wow. Stoking fears that the promotion would be a dud. Mm-hmm. Consequently, expectations were for a crowd of 20,000, and security was hired for 35,000. So enough security to like only watch like 35,000 people, which right. isn't even like the stadium's capacity. Right. The doubleheader was sold out oh with an additional 20,000 people outside. Oh my gosh. So this is like a recipe for disaster. Oh, yes. At least there wasn't a fire. Is there so, getting ready to be a fire? Some in the crowd jumped oh the fences God. to get in. Bill Vec estimated 50,000 to 55,000 were in the park. Holy crap. Yeah. Attendees were supposed to drop their disco records in designated boxes upon entry. These boxes quickly filled up, leading fans to just take their records to their seats. Oh no! They're like, when are we going to get to do? We'll just we'll just put them on the field yeah. ourselves. Yep. Uh, the first game began at six p.m. So this is like a afternoon evening doubleheader, which you don't really see too much anymore. Normally, if they have a doubleheader, they'll play. Play one in, during the day at like one o'clock, and then we'll have one in the evening. Yeah, because you're tired. The yeah. players are tired. This is a time when 
They didn't really give a crap about how the players felt. Well, yeah, they were so. people taking LSDs and throwing no hitters. So yeah, LSDs. I said <laughs> the people are taking LSD <laughs> and throwing no hitters. Uh, no, they took more than one LSD. Teresa. Many LSDs. Yes. Several lysergic acids. Yes. <laughs> uh, when Mike Vec got reports of fans illicitly entering the stadium, he deployed security to the gates to stop them. Because heaven forbid we let anybody in who hasn't paid. 98 cents. But this left the field largely unsecured. <laughs> Whoops. And fans began throwing their records onto the field. Oh, no. Uh, from Tiger's designated hitter, Rusty Staub, quote, It wasn't just one, it was many. Oh, God almighty, I've never seen anything so dangerous in my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I've never, I, like, I've seen fans, like, throw things onto the field before. Uh, somebody threw a syringe at Barry Bonds once. Um, wow. Also dangerous. Well, it's not getting to Barry Bonds here for a minute. But, um, but yeah, I've never seen anybody just, like, uh, just throwing records at the field before. Yeah. I can, I can just imagine, like, throwing them and then just, like, hitting, like, perpendicular to the ground, just getting stuck. Like, yeah. straight up. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, records, although very fragile and breakable, they are also sharp. They can hurt you. Yeah. Uh, the play-by-play commentator for the White Sox spoke of a marijuana odor permeating the stands. Uh, that commentator would go on to be a Cubs commentator and parodied by Will Ferrell on Saturday Night Live, Harry Carey. Oh my gosh. I, it smells like marijuana in the stands. That's a terrible impression. The moon smells like cheese. Your impression is god-awful. Yeah, well, I never claimed it was good. So help us all. Um... I will absolutely post a picture of Harry Carey when we get to the, that point because Will Ferrell's impression is a thousand times better. Yeah. But I can only imagine like him like, do you smell that? <laughs> it smells like pot. The rafer. <laughs> wow. Can you get high like this? <laughs> okay, we're, I can't do it either. So. No, you can't. Um, it's better than yours. But uh, sorry. Uh, the game sorry. ended at 8.16 p.m., a 4-1 to Tigers victory. So, first game's over with. And I don't know if this... I've never actually been to a doubleheader myself. I don't mm -hmm. know if this is still true. I doubt it. Because, of course, they would charge fans twice for it now. Mm -hmm. uh, used to, like, one ticket could get you into both games. So you think that now, if if there's a doubleheader, that they charge for two tickets? Yeah, I, I don't know. Because it's like, I don't see how you'd be how able would, to account yeah. for that for people who just stay there the whole day. So, like, I, I don't know. But I've never... I've never uh, been to a doubleheader game. I'd like to, because that's just one more, you know, checkbox on the baseball to-do list. Why? I don't know. It seems just... like a long time. That's fine. I don't mind sitting watching baseball all day. Okay, so there's there's a single admission doubleheader, or there's a split admission doubleheader. So it's both ways. Okay. If it's a split admission doubleheader, then they clear out the entire stadium and you have to leave. And then you come back later with your other ticket. Of course. Yeah. <sighs> it, um, anyway, at 8.40, uh, Dahl emerged in army fatigues and circled the field in a jeep, firing up the crowd with a chance of Disco Sucks. Now remember, at this time, you know, all these fans, they've been sitting there through a baseball game, through, through, through one whole baseball game already. It was like several hours. Yeah, so they're... Like three hours. Already stoned or drunk. And what is the state? Illinois. No, 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 not state, sorry. What oh. is the date? Uh, da, 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 July 12th. So it's hot. 
Yeah. It's freaking hot. Everybody is drunk or stoned. Yep. Already been through like three or four hours of a baseball game. So enough time to, what, four beers at least? Four yeah. to six beers? Yep. Yeah. I can imagine being real grumpy at the end of that. And then looking forward to another pretty much yep. hot same four hours. And probably the thing you actually came for is getting ready to happen. So Yeah. Uh, while players were warming up for the second game. So like the pitcher for the second game, he's on the mound, you know, warming up. Players are like, you know, kind of doing their stretches, you know, trying to get loose. Get loose. <laughs> Dahl set up the explosives in center field and blew up the amassed disco records. Wow, so they just they took all the disco records from all the boxes at the entrances and then they just put them on the center of the field and they were like, all right, blow them up. Yep. Wouldn't that damage the field? The explosion left debris in a small smoking crater in center field. <laughs> I, like, whose idea was it to do this in the middle of the field? Don't know. Wow. Um, at that moment, about 6,000 fans stormed the field. <gasps> what? Uh, players fled to the dugouts and barricaded the clubhouses. Oh, my gosh. Um, one of the rioters was a 21-year-old Michael Clark Duncan <laughs> who stole a baseball bat. What? Yeah. Um, Harry Carey used the PA system to get the crowd to calm down, but failed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, I, I can't see him as a great pacifier. Down. <laughs> Once again, terrible impression. Don't care. Um, and all the while, this whole time, take me out to the ball game is is playing. Oh my god! So just imagine, just imagine this 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 scene of chaos. There's a smoking crater in center field. People just running amok on the field. Players like fleeing for their lives. Harry Carey on the sound system trying to calm everybody down. There's a smell of alcohol and beer and sweat in the air. And take me out to the ball game is playing. It's just utter chaos. This seems like the best baseball game I've ever gone to. I, I, I this is one of it. It's like I wish I'd been there for this. Yeah, I, for I, sure. I, yeah. So it's like, uh, but anyway, um, Chicago riot police. They arrived about nine oh eight p.m. So about nearly half an hour. So, uh, 39 people were arrested and as many as 30 were injured. Nobody died. There's no, there's no death toll in this episode. Well, that's good. Uh, Bill Vec wanted the second game to go on as scheduled. Somebody would trip and fall but, in the crater. <laughs> but Tigers manager Sparky Anderson successfully argued for a White Sox forfeit. Yeah. Sparky Anderson, for those who are familiar, the manager of the greatest assemblage of men to ever take the baseball field, the Big Red Machine. Okay. Yeah. Cannot comment. Do not no. know. Oh, I, yeah. I keep forgetting to show you these pictures when I come up to these people. That's but right. uh, there's Bill Vec and his wooden leg. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's a that's Mike Vec, but that's uh, today. Okay. Like more recently. Yeah. Um, that's Steve Dahl. Like I want a, a disco sucks shirt. Looks like a goober. A la Steve Dahl. Um, and there's a couple scenes from the. Uh, oh my god! It just looks like a riot. Because it basically was. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever gotten to go on the field before? Yeah. Um, Fifth Third, uh, the place formerly known as Fifth Third Field. Day uh, Air few Credit times. Union yeah, Field. Yeah, whatever the hell it's called now. Um, Why yeah. did you get to go on there? Were you throwing records and storming no. the field? No, it was stuff with Boy Scouts. Why was in Boy Scouts? Mm. Um, it was when they were doing the Centennial Flight stuff. Um, oh, okay. And I got to see John Glenn and Neil Armstrong, like, kind of speak. In 2005? 2003. 2003? Um, we, we had seats on the field. 
I was probably maybe 100 feet away from him. So. John Glenn? From from both him and him, him uh, and Armstrong. Did anybody get punched by either one of the astronauts? No, Buzz Aldrin was not there. Well, John Glenn and Neil Armstrong probably could throw a punch, too. Not no more. Buzz Aldrin was pretty old when he decked that reporter, though. He was, and that reporter deserved it. Yeah. Um, Moon it- landing was fake, though. I know the moon landing isn't fake. Yes, please please do not get our podcast lumped into with the QAnon bullshit. We would get, probably get more listeners. We could get a Patreon. I don't want those listeners. I don't want their money. Yeah, but you kind of want their money, though. No, I don't. I have principles. Yeah, but those principles don't necessarily extend to fleecing people who buy into those conspiracy theories. Those people need help, not... And you need their money. <laughs> If you are a, a subscriber to those conspiracy theories, please seek professional help. <laughs> anyway, uh, Dahl saw no issue with the events of the night, mocking press coverage of it. He does look like the kind of guy who'd be like, who cares? Yeah. Um, Sparky Anderson blamed drug use because he's a crotchety old man at this time. So, All these teenagers are on drugs. Pretty much. Well, um, I mean, plus it was 98 cent night, so... Yeah. Um, a columnist for the Chicago Tribune wrote, quote, It would have happened any place 50,000 teenagers got together on a sultry summer night with beer and reefer. End quote. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, Dahl would be fired by WLUP in 1981, so just a couple years later, for, quote, Continued assaults on community standards. Quote. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, he's continued his radio career with other stations, uh, later expanding to podcasts. And still doing controversial stunts, including a live broadcast of his vasectomy. Yeah, he, he's still going today. Wow. Um, Bill Vec, he sold the White Sox in 1981, uh, unable to keep up with increasing player salaries after the advent of free agency. Ah, uh, so you uh, just didn't have the, the enough cash. Yeah, because before free agency, like, you could, like, player contracts were kind of unfair to the players, because uh, mm-hmm. they couldn't really market their services to other teams who would pay. Uh, um, it's kind of restrictive in that way, but like once free agency came about, uh, player salaries kind of skyrocketed, and he's like, unless you had an, a source of financing independent from your baseball team, it became kind of hard to uh, keep up with those salaries, if you want to stay competitive anyway. I see. So, um, and that's where you really start getting like owners who have, who are already established like millionaires or billionaires buying teams. Yeah, okay. So. That makes sense. Uh, Vec, he died in 1986 and was very rightly so inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1991. Nice. Yep. Uh, Mike Vec, he quit the White Sox in 1981 when his father sold the team. Uh, and he actually battled alcoholism for several years. Oh, that's uh, sucks. But, but turned it around and now owns several minor league and independent baseball teams. In 2014, one of his teams had a promotion to destroy Justin Bieber and Miley Cyrus merchandise. It went smoothly. <laughs> yeah. He was like, uh, I learned my lesson. Yeah. Let's not blow it up on the field. Yeah. Um, the events of Disco Demolition Night were seen as a contributing factor in the decline of Disco. Which <laughs> really? Is why, yeah. Which is why it's, which is why, you know, doing this episode on it, because, I mean, yeah. it's affected, you know. That musical genre. And you could argue it was already kind of on its way out. Yeah. It was kind of a fad. But this kind of accelerated it. 
Or maybe it was just a, a marker of the time. Like, it wasn't necessarily an acceleration of it, but it was, like, a a way to see a slice in time of the changing viewpoints towards disco. Yeah. So, like, rather than being, like, okay, everybody hates disco because a bunch of people blew up records on the state in this uh, baseball game, instead, it's, like, nobody wants these disco records anymore, and it's worth more to them to take them to this baseball game pay 98 cents and throw it into the field yeah makes more sense um from one of my sources uh, julian frank quote the disco demolition triggered a nationwide expression of anger against disco that caused it to recede quickly from the american cultural landscape hmm. um, another source i used uh dave marsh said uh, disco demolition night was quote your most paranoid fantasy about where the ethnic cleansing of the rock radio could ultimately lead White males, 18 to 34, are the most likely to see disco as the product of homosexuals, blacks, and Latins, and therefore they're the most likely to respond to appeals to wipe out such threats to their security. It goes almost without saying that such appeals are racist and sexist, but broadcasting has never been an especially civil libertarian medium. End quote. Wow, that's a particularly deep cut about this event. Yeah, for something like on the face of it, you're, you you wouldn't think that. It's like just seems like a a comedy of errors. Yeah. Um, Dahl, of course, denied any racial undertone to it. Well, Um, yeah. If he wanted to stay a disc jockey, then. Yeah. In the late 70s or early 80s. And it's quite possible he didn't see it that way. He just didn't like it. Or he saw this as a thing that got him fired. But that's the thing with white cis men. Yeah. Is that most of the time they don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up being that way, though. Yeah. Like, just because you don't see the the patriarchy and capitalism working through a certain thing does not mean that it's it doesn't there. it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think that we could point to several other of our episodes where the exact same thing happened. Mm-hmm. Where they were like, oh, well, this doesn't have anything to do with race or class. And it's like, yeah, but it did. <laughs> it had everything to do with both of those things. Totally. Totally. Um, and then I'll, I'll end this on one another quote from Jeremiah Graves. Quote, To this day, Disco Demolition Night stands in infamy as one of the most ill-advised promotions of all time, but arguably one of the most successful, as 30 years later, we're all still talking about it. End quote. <laughs> yep. Bad publicity is still publicity. Yep. Exactly. Oh... I love talking about baseball. We talk about baseball for like another like five hours. Why don't you uh, make a baseball podcast? I have too many other things to do. <laughs> like life. name one. Life. <laughs> name one. I just said life. That's not one. It's a panoply of many things. Name one other better thing that you have to do that's not a baseball podcast. Not a better thing, but I have to you know take care of certain family members. And work and exercise. Quit your job. Just. I mean, if you want to subsidize my lifestyle, go for it. <laughs> subsidize his lifestyle. Like he has a Maserati or something. <laughs> no, but that star- my car still needs paid for. <laughs> Make a good enough baseball podcast and it will be- it will get paid for. Baseball podcasts are a dime a dozen. I'm going to do that. Oh, um, there's lots of base- baseball podcasts? Yes. That's funny because I've never seen one. When have you ever looked for one? Good point. Never exactly. looked at a 
sports podcast at all. Maybe maybe I'll I'll uh, make a famous podcast called Sports for Dummies, where I explore a new topic every week about uh, something about sports that I don't know about, like doubleheaders. <laughs> I'm gonna become famous with this podcast, and you're gonna be so salty. <laughs> With all the sports knowledge yeah, that yeah, you have. Yeah, yeah, that'll be the one that make you famous. Not this one and not your other one. <laughs> but maybe it will make all of them famous. I'll, I'll take y'all with no. me. But, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it, it would be hilarious because for all of the sports knowledge that you have, I, I don't have any of that. And I don't work nearly as hard at knowing anything about sports. And so it would be extra ironic if I was like, Hello, my name is Teresa, and I'm the sports dummy. Today we're going to talk about something I don't know anything about, double headers, and it I become famous. And you're going to be screaming over there and doing that thing that you do, like, what, 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 what where you, like, are trying to articulate your disbelief. <laughs> you're an idiot, and you don't, get, you don't know anything about sports, and yet you have a sports podcast. What the hell? This is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm manifesting that. And you'd probably gloat endlessly. <laughs> I would. I. I am not an endless gloater. I. I normally I'm a one near and done. endless gloater. Okay. No, I'm normally a one and done. If I've got a gloat, I'll do it the one time. Uh, uh, it, it, give me one example. I can't cite anything off the top yeah, of my head. That's right, because there's not one. Uh huh. Mister, I've got a memory for everything in the world except for birthdays. Anyways, Your birthday is September fifteenth. No, it's not. Are you kidding? <laughs> but first of all, you probably shouldn't say that on the podcast. Don't want my identity to get stolen via podcast. It's September fourteenth. Good, good try. Second try. Number one. Number two. What were your sources this time, Cody? Whose birthday I remember? <laughs> yeah, uh, sources. Um, well, from Steve Dahl and Dave Hoxtra, uh, uh, Disco Demolition, The Night Disco Died from 2016. Uh, Bill Veck, Baseball's Greatest Maverick by Paul Dixon from 2012. In multiple articles uh, from Jillian Frank, Discophobia, Anti-Gay Prejudice and the 1979 Backlash Against Disco from the journal The History of Sexuality. Jeremiah Graves, 30 Years Later, Disco Demolition Night uh, from Bleacher Report from 2009. Uh, Dave Marsh's article from Rolling Stone in December 1979, the flip side of 79. And Christopher Young's uh, article from the Baseball Research Journal in 2009, when fans wanted to rock, the baseball stopped, sports, promotions, and the demolition of disco on Chicago's south side. Nice. So. What are we talking about for episode 19, Cody? Oh, what is 19? Oh, yes, um... We're going to begin a, a multi-episode dive into Ireland. Um, oh, boy. So, we're so like, multiple episodes in a row? No, no, not oh, in a okay. row. That would be far too depressing. Um, but we're going to start off... Um, lar- it, it's largely, like, a lot of background um, into stuff that would come later. Okay. Um, so not necessarily the source of what would come later, but definitely something um, that is very important to understand in the context for what would come eventually. Um, so we're going to be talking about uh, Oliver Cromwell and the conquest of Ireland in the mid-17th century. Is that the uh, 5th, of December, 5th of November thing? 
That is Guy Fox. Damn it. All right. And that was <laughs> like uh, 50 years earlier. Do they reference so Oliver so, Cromwell? So, same century. Do they reference Oliver Cromwell in V for Vendetta? No. What? I don't think so. What the heck am I thinking of then? The heck? I don't know. Yeah, well, par for the course. Please don't forget to check out our sister projects, or mostly my sister projects. Uh, the YouTube show, The Drunken Pond, which is produced by myself and hosted by our co-producer, Steve, on this podcast, um, where we drink beer and play board games. It's a great time. Uh, Attack of the Final Girls, which is a horror review podcast, uh, which is co-hosted by myself and my lovely pod wife, Juliet. Uh, Three Minute Movies, which is a YouTube channel where I attempt to summarize and spoil movies in three minutes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our show so we can stay on the charts. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram at WeEftUp. I'm Teresa. And I'm Cody. And this is WeEftUp. We